I think that's the part of feedback that a lot of people don't get because it's a lot of, for a lot of people, it's about a debate when they're giving feedback because they're trying to push their perspective on others. And I think it's about being open because if you're not being open to hearing what they have to say about your feedback that you're giving to them, they're not going to be open to your feedback in general. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Teresso, your host. On today's show, I talk with Alonzo C., who's a higher education professional working at Auburn University. He's a former master's student, a leadership educator, a social justice advocate, and a self-described hip-hop lover from Harlem, New York. Alonzo recently graduated from Milan University in North Carolina. Back in early June, I saw a video that Alonzo posted on his Instagram addressing his feelings about racism in the U.S. I was really inspired by his authenticity and his candor, and I reached out to him to see if he'd be willing to talk with me on the podcast. Despite some initial reluctance, he agreed, and this episode is a result of our conversation. So let's pop into my conversation as I ask Alonzo to define grace. I would say that grace is a practice of leniency. Hmm. I think that there's an aspect of, you know, giving yourself an opportunity to fail. I would say that grace can't exist where perfection lives. Um, and I used to be a perfectionist. I mean, I, I, had, I got my bachelor's of science in statistics, so I loved, <laughs> I loved having an answer to things. It feels so safe and good. It feels so safe. You know, there's very little change that happens. But I think that grace is the practice of leniency and giving yourself time to fail and time to learn and grow. Hmm. Yeah. I've never had to define grace, but I'm actually happy you had me do that. As you were talking about it, I was thinking, what is grace? You know, like, how do we hold it? Because I think we all hold it differently. And I do think there's a lot of words that we, I'm a wordy. I love like looking up words. Like when I was a kid, I used to like look through the dictionary for fun and define, it's so weird. But um, so defining words and breaking them down is super interesting to me. And it just struck me as you use the word is like, oh yeah, how do we all hold grace differently? Mm -hmm. um, giving grace to ourselves, giving grace to others. And it's such a beautiful word, like the, the word itself. But I really love what you said here. Grace cannot exist where perfection lives. And I think that's right because in the need for perfection lies this desire to not allow any error or mistake. And even if I think about the way we are in the world right now. So now we're, we're still living in COVID and on top of COVID, we've got all this stuff going on around racism and inequity in the world. Not that that always hasn't been going on, but now it's risen to the surface. You know, I define leadership as influence yeah. and paying attention to how we're influencing one another matters. And mm -hmm. I think it's, fundamental that we treat ourselves 
the way we wish to treat others. Um, I know that often the focus is treat others with kindness, treat others with kindness. Well, we can't actually do that if we don't embody what it means. You touched on a lot of things that I hold dearly as well. I think that leadership exists within interdependence. Leadership doesn't exist in a vacuum. The impact that we have on one another is very profound, um, regardless of intention or impact. And that grace exists within that. Um, the precedent that we hold, that we set for ourselves exists within others um, and how we extend it to others. So whatever we do within ourselves. And like, for me, I love, like, I love integrity wholeheartedly. And it's a huge part of the leadership that I practice for myself because I want it to be seen within others, the way that actions and words align and setting a standard for yourself to not just be the leader that you want others to be, but also showcase the ways that you don't want leadership to play out. Um, and knowing that you're going to fail, but it's, it's not about the failure itself, but it's about the rebound. It's mm -hmm. about how you cultivate dialogue after the failure that matters more than the failure itself. And I think people oftentimes pay too much attention to the actual failure and are very reactionary to the failure because we don't want to fail. We live in a society that penalizes you on failure, um, which we could have a whole other conversation. Uh -huh. about that. But the growth happens from, from not the reaction, but the dialogue from taking time to reflect and then talk about all the circumstances and actions that existed within the failure. Yeah, that's making me think about um, some conversations I've been having recently I don't necessarily want to make our conversation all about racism, but it's hard not to bring it up as it's so here and present, particularly as a white person talking about racism and the denial that we've all had around it occurring in the world that we're all living in. And you just touched on something you said a minute ago was about, um, well, nobody likes to fail. And I think white people in particular are looking at this right now like, I don't want to be blamed for this. I don't want to be like, I don't want to take responsibility because there's so much shame associated with being associated with what's occurring. And just naming th that if we don't look, you know, at our failures mm -hmm. um, as opportunities to learn and grow, which is what, how I define failure, actually. Like, it's just like mistakes are miss, M-I-S, takes. Like we need to take mm -hmm. them over again. We do this in my house a lot. If something happens in the family where one of the kids screws up, we just say like, I'd like a do-over please, right? So like in leadership, I think, can we look at our failures, no matter how big or small they are, as opportunities to do it over again? Mm -hmm. That's where the growth is coming from. I think that everything that's going on right now is having us uh, time or it's giving us time to really think about the ways we want to do society over again. Do the and world I, over again. Yeah. And I think that if you look at even just racism, you're talking about mistakes. There has to be an aspect of being honest with history and being honest with your past. And America has not been honest with any of the history that we've been <laughs> built on. And that's the main, like we can't, we can't learn from a mistake we don't understand or know because it's been erased from our past. 
Um, and I think when people learn that history that has been manipulated, it becomes your narrative. And that is what we're combating with. We're combating with the narratives that exists because it is convenient to some and hurtful and unjust to others. But the narrative is what our country is built on. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. To uh, unroot <laughs> the entire tree uh, that, that is the foundation of our country and say, we would like a redo is going not just, you're not cutting a branch. You're going to the bottom of the tree and uprooting the entire thing and saying, let's start over. And that's the scary part for people. That's what people are holding on to. That's why people double down on their ignorance. Like it's not comfortable in the slightest and will never be. It's not even small uncomfortable. It's big uncomfortable. It's huge. And when you talk about trees, um, I love that because I wrote I wrote a little children's book called Little Seeds Journey, and it's all about a tree and planting seeds and roots, and it's sweet. But the root systems are so deep and they're vast, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you know what mycelium is? That's the network under the earth that is keeps us all connected, right? So like mushrooms are built on mycelium and there's like this network that goes throughout the whole world. And that's what's going on here is, you know, like even uprooting the tree and getting the roots, there's still so much more in there that needs to be weeded out. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is incredibly overwhelming to think about that. And it makes me think again about leadership and, you know, we're under a particular leadership right now in the world. Yeah. And I want to know if you have the capacity to extend grace to perhaps someone like Donald Trump as a leader. Um, I think we have to. Um, and to go back on leadership through a lens of interdependence, us as people and leadership doesn't exist in a vacuum. People are a product of their environment and the people and space around them and not everyone's going to come to the to the same conclusion at the same time Mm -hmm. and i think that it's potentially unfortunate with the spheres of influence that he may have around him he doesn't have people like us or people like i that i know that are amazing people and that see the world differently, he doesn't, I don't think he necessarily has those type of people around him. To have conversations about, you know, uncomfortable truths that exist and have conversations about holistic history that exists and understanding circumstances that have led to where we are today, it's unfortunate. And I think that like, no matter how aggravating or like just, I don't even know. Like, there are certain things that he says that are just like I can't even comprehend. But I still, I still have to be like, okay, there has to be a certain amount of grace that I have because if, like, otherwise you just go insane. Like, if we don't give grace, then it just leads to more frustration. Then I think I would even have the capacity to deal with in my own body. But I also think you know that adds on to to certain like responsibility that everyone has, like Mm -hmm. everyone has capacity to be a leader. And I think that that's part of the things that I love to teach within leadership is like 
there may be people who don't exemplify leadership well. They may view it as management, which is more about power than it is actually about influence, Right. which is not good leadership. (laughs) But everyone has the ability to influence, which means everyone has the capacity to be a leader. Absolutely right. I think that it's through that and understanding that my impact matters that keeps me going and understanding that the work that I do has value, the people that I influence have value, which is everyone. Um, And if I'm to extend the fact that my influence has value and it extends to everyone, it means it also technically extends to him under some capacity. Whether or not he ever knows of my existence or not, that influence has like reaches to lengths that I don't even comprehend. And because of that, I have to give him grace. Well, thank you for that answer, first of all. When I hear you talk about someone like Donald Trump that way, I see the impact you're having on others because there's lots of people having lots of conversations and there's lots of reasons for people to have conversations to denounce someone like Donald Trump and his way of being. And I can totally get on board with all that, except I don't see it as useful to moving the needle on transformation. Mm -hmm. So when we get into a pattern of criticizing, condemning, Um, blaming others, we're not actually in a position of creativity, transformation, connection, meeting people where they are. And so while I can agree with, yeah, this is not my way of being, I don't actually align, I'm not in integrity with how he's leading or how he's being in the world. Condemning, criticizing, blaming isn't going to actually shift So the more I spend my energy, which, you know, one of the things I teach in in my leadership trainings is that blaming and criticizing comes from fear Mm -hmm. and there's fear energy or there's challenger energy that comes from a place of trust. And so it sounds to me like you're really committed to spending more of your time in that place of trust, challenging. And and that's where grace lives, right? In that Mm -hmm. trust. Like I trust that if I extend grace, that that will ignite change more quickly than if I hadn't extended that same kind of grace. Yeah, exactly. And it also, like when we blame people and when we put the onus on an individual person, we take, we take our attention away from the environment. We take our attention away from the influence of others. Like we can't just put it on one person. Like Donald Trump, wasn't just elected because he existed like that is a there is a greater influence that existed that got him to where he is today and to blame solely him is i would say irresponsible of us as leaders to to really put give him that much power like the systems that exist the environment that exists our influence that exists is so much more powerful and that has to be considered so like when we talk about you know I think us as people, we have to shift our attention from the independent society lens to the interdependent society lens in order to actually understand the profound impact that we have on one another and that we can't just solely blame one person. Even though one person's actions may have had impact, that is not the entire story. This might sound strange, but I had some hope when he was elected because I was blown away. I was living in denial of that even being possible. 
And then when he was elected, I said, um, wow, this is really shining a light on the consciousness of our country. And it's something for us to be paying attention to. And it's something we've been able to sort of ignore. It's been under the radar, but now it's front and center. We can't ignore it anymore. And you're right. 55 million people voted for him. That's something. Mm-hmm. Or however many. I didn't get that number right, but it has to count for something. Like we can't, we can't just neglect all of that influence. And I think that you know when people say like the politics of it all, I mean, one side really ignored a good part of the influence that that one man or his campaign had on a certain like a certain part of our country. Um, they ignored a lot of that influence and that impact. That says a lot about, you know, how we view our own impact and are we able to impact everyone versus impacting some people. And I think that all of us as people have impact on everyone, but it's how you choose to see it. Hey there. You know, we're all aware that these are unprecedented times. And with that inevitably comes a lot of fear, a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety. And while these are challenging times, these are also times for cultivating resilience, personal growth and development, all valuable skills for you as the next generation of leaders. So I'd like to help you learn to thrive this year while navigating these challenges. This August, I'm offering my Drop the Drama workshops online for free to college students. My Drop the Drama program is designed to help you learn to take responsibility and take control when life feels out of control. You'll learn how to cultivate self-awareness, a fundamental skill of great leaders. You'll learn to be self-empowered and develop lifelong skills to navigate whatever challenges arise in the moment. So you're free to succeed. Hop over to annemariechereso.me and find a date in August to drop into my free online workshop and set yourself up to thrive this year. Or text I am free to 474747 to get your free meditation and to learn more. Welcome back to university. You're listening to my conversation with Alonzo C. We've been talking about grace, learning from our mistakes, and looking deeply into the systems that cause suffering. Let's rejoin the conversation as I open up to Alonzo about a video that he made that inspired me deeply. had a huge impact on me because I know you from an Instagram video that you posted, I think it was somewhere around the end of May, speaking about your feelings about what was occurring around racism and inequity and all the uprising at that moment. And right, lots has happened since then. And I was moved by it. And, you know, I don't even know you. I just reached out to you on Instagram. I figured you probably wouldn't even respond and you did. So thank you. But that had an impact on me. It was 
you know, I'm seeing lots of stuff on social media these days. And I think that video was probably 13 minutes long or something. So it was a, no. it, was a it was a fair chunk of time, you know, <laughs> we're scrolling through. Um, and you grabbed me and you got my attention. And what you said, you know, there's many things you said in there. You know, you started with, I'm just tired, you know, and I, I really had a lot of appreciation for that. And and you sat, like you gave that a lot of breath. And I just sat with you watching you feel tired. And I, I like, I got it in a way that I don't think I could have or would have gotten it any other way. It was like, it was really profound for me. And so this, this thing that you're talking about and that I say over and over again is it doesn't matter if you're you're influencing one person or a hundred million people, your influence matters. It's a domino effect. And mm -hmm. we're speaking to one person, we're speaking to everyone. So I wanted to thank you for A, replying to me and B, speaking your truth so honestly and using your platform to influence, which is I think a powerful thing we could all be doing. And I was having this conversation with my parents recently who are in their late seventies and they're you know, I live in Chicago, so we're like middle America, Midwest, working class, white people. My dad's Italian. My mom's Polish. It's, you know, just my dad worked for the streets and sand his whole life. They had a little real estate business. Mom worked part-time at a bank. They're just simple people. And we were talking about the news and how it impacts their view of what's occurring in the world right now. And I said, well, you're actually being fed the news from a bunch of white people like in the media. And now Instagram and Facebook and all these social media platforms have opened us up to getting, now, of course, my parents aren't on Instagram. They're 78 years old. But like, I now have choice mm -hmm. about where I place my attention and what I'm attending to and paying attention to. So yeah, it was impactful what you said on your video. I'm going to post it in the show notes when we do our podcast so others can hear you speak um, and hear what you have to say. And yeah, so thanks. That's what I wanted to say about all that. Oh, of course. Um, I, I like to take the time to give to others. A lot of my mentors would say that sometimes I get to the point where I'm pouring from an empty cup, but I think that it comes from just who I want to be and how I see my influence playing out in the world. Uh, again, like it doesn't matter if I'm impacting one person or if I'm impacting another, but my, my presence or lack of presence in someone's life has impact. Like mm -hmm. if I choose to, if I choose to reply or if I choose to not reply that either option is impact. Mm -hmm. um, and I would rather opt in than opt out. Mm that's a lot of my leadership practice, but not, but, and also giving myself the spaces to, to recharge and to recollect myself. So even if I don't respond to everyone at the same moments, I, I feel a certain obligation to at least respond and give part of my attention to them because I see that part of my impact playing a role. And you did, at first you said to me, I'm really busy right now. I'm in the middle of a bunch of stuff. And there was a part of me is like, okay, that's just a blow off. And 
and that's fine. But then I was like, well, I really, I want to check out my story. Like, is it just a blow off or is he really busy? And you said, no, check back with me. And so I did. And, and then here we are. So yeah, that was just a fun exercise because I, a lot of what I teach is being aware of the stories I make up in my head about other people. And, and, you know, I'm either behaving from the stories in my head, which I think is something we do all the time. You know, we mm-hmm. behave based on the stories we make up about other people. And so I put into practice, I got a little courageous and asked you like, is it really true that I should reach back out or, <laughs> or you know, are you politely saying no? So I, I thanks for playing that game with me because oh. you, you came back. Yeah, I wanted you. To, I wanted you to reach back out, and and part of me was also thinking, why is she reaching out to me? <laughs> um, like, what was what I said really that profound? Like, I'm always thinking about that type of stuff. I think I was with coworkers when that came through, and I, and I even asked them. I was like, should I reply? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm always trying to, you know, I'm I'm trying to, and like, am I too much in my head? Am I too much in my own head? Let me get a different perspective. I read uh, them what you said to me, and they were like, oh, that seems really genuine. I think you should respond. And that led to, you know, where we are today. So I think feedback, what one of my mentors have always uh, said, feedback is an act of love. Mm, uh, I do too. And I always wow. take those opportunities. I always take those opportunities to engage in feedback um, because regardless of your feelings within it, it's, it's, it's going to help you. Like for me, I won't engage in feedback if I am apathetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens for a lot of people. Like you won't engage in feedback if you don't have any feelings towards the cause. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to touch on the feedback thing for a minute here, because I think this is really important. And this is fundamental to what I teach, particularly in leadership, because feedback is fundamental, mm-hmm. but all feedback is fundamental. And I think what happens a lot is people like to give fluffy feedback but they're not necessarily as interested in giving feedback that can be perceived as critical. So tell me a little bit about how you are in relationship to feedback. Um, Do you give both good and bad feedback, quote unquote? 100%. And I tell this to people I'm friends with too. I think that I'm, I'm a really honest person. I tell them that I'm, I'm a, I'm an open book. Um, because I think being an open book is the easiest way to getting feedback um, because you're not closing yourself off to people. But I tell this to a lot of the people that I'm really close with is like, if you can tell that I care for you as a person, if I'm giving you feedback, that may hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. If I am giving you feedback that is, you know, cutting deep and, you know, may hurt at the moment, but it's, it's something that I really, it, from my perspective, it's something that I think that can be something that you can grow from, then I'm going to give you that feedback because there's no, there's no point in pushing it off. You can push off the, the meeting as in like, hey, we should talk about this at some point. I would love for us to have this conversation soon. It doesn't have to be in the moment, but as long as you're taking that time to give that feedback and try to do it as promptly as possible, you are showing that you care for that person. Yeah, it goes back to feedback is love. Yeah, and I think for me, I would say that I didn't view that within myself too much. And I see it within the relationship that I had with my sister for the most part of my life. She's two years younger than, and even with my, most of my family, I think it's because I care about them. 
Um, and my mom will say that sometimes I come off as really harsh mm-hmm. in my feedback. So I don't think it's like necessarily fluffing it. I think it's the approach. I think it's a fluffy approach. It's not necessarily the words, because I think there is an art to feedback um, because you want someone to be receptive to it. If you really do have love for them, you want them to be receptive to it and you don't want them to just push off your feedback to the side. And I think that's that art is something I didn't have when I was younger because you know, my sister would be angry at things that I've said. And then we get into this whole argument or my mom would be really offended with something I said. We get into this whole argument, but it's the manner in which you're conducting the dialogue that matters. Um, And I think that the dialogue part is important because I did something called the same dialogue. I think my sophomore year Mm -hmm. of college where they're really just, they're trying to place a distinction between dialogue versus conversation and debate. Mm-hmm. where conversation is, you know, you're just having, you're just talking just to talk. There are some engaging of ideas, but with no expectation to really take in or have that other person take in your perspective. You have debate, which is you're fighting for your perspective, regardless mm-hmm. if you're right or wrong. And if the other person is right or wrong, you're just fighting for your perspective. And then there's dialogue, which is where, you know, both sides are really coming at it from a perspective of, I have my side, you have your side, or there is there are stories being inter- being um, exchanged, and I'm open to taking in different perspectives and potentially having my own perspective changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part of feedback that a lot of people don't get because it's a lot of for a lot of people it's about a debate when they're giving feedback because they're trying to push their perspective on others. And I think it's about being open because if you're not being open to hearing what they have to say about your feedback that you're giving to them, they're not going to be open to your feedback in general. One of the foundations of what I teach is this idea of context versus content. Mm -hmm. And one question we ask is how are you being with whatever's occurring? And so this just to your point about being open You know, we're either open and curious and committed to learning, and that's a state of mind, right? That's a a state of being, or we're closed and defensive and committed to being right, which is another state of being. And so as, you know, my, my intention, my hope, my desire is to help young leaders learn the difference in themselves. Like, can I catch myself? Am I self-aware enough to know when I'm truly open, not just open with my head, mm-hmm. but open with all of me, truly, am I truly open and committed to learning here when, when I'm getting this feedback? Or am I listening to defend, to blame, to criticize, and am I committed to being right? And I want to say this, I think it's really important that it's okay when we're defensive because we're just humans. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, when we feel threatened, whether we're aware of it or not, we defend. That's just humans being humans. Yep. So, but the game is, can I be aware? Can I catch myself mm-hmm. and notice? So I really like that you talk about feedback and, and being open because when we're not open, we can't take in information. We just nope. can't. That's that fight or flight mentality. You're not taking in anything. If you're, if like once the wall goes up, nothing's coming in. Well, that's absolutely right. And this is, I think, 
you know, fundamental to the race conversation we're having in this country right now, because so many people, particularly white people or the white people I'm talking to, can be so defended right now. It's like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. You know, it's all. And when we're in that place of defensiveness, we can't actually hear and we're not mm-hmm. learning and we're not growing and that's not moving the needle. And so I just, you know, when I'm talking about leadership, I really, really want to bring this point home. Is like, can you, do you have the awareness to catch yourself being open or closed? Exactly. I think for me, it's the practice of teaching young people to, to develop a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were talking about perfection a little bit beforehand in terms of how you see how it relates to grace um, as opposites. But I would also say the same for a growth mindset, because if you are trying to develop a growth mindset, you are not trying to be perfect. You understand that there's always something to learn from everybody and everything. You could say for yourself that you are the master of your story. No one else knows it but you. So for someone to say that they know you or to know who you are based on like outside perceptions is completely invalid and comes from a a space of perfection because we don't want to be wrong. Um, For us to really be growth mind, like to be growth mindful, we have to like throw away perfection and be able to see others as the master of their own story and also that there is something to be learned and something of value that someone else has that we don't. Yeah, being human is messy. It is, really complicated. Yeah, it's not, there's no such thing as perfect. It's imperfect to be perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanna know what your core beliefs are, what your strengths are, Mm -hmm. what you're doing next, like with your career choice and, and what the impact you wanna make is. So let's start with, core beliefs okay i would say i've i've talked about some of my core beliefs um i think that integrity is one of if not the top core belief that i have so much so that i have it tattooed on my chest <laughs> um oh really i have uh inte- it says integrity over everything and the over is like a division line because you know myself as a bachelor of science in statistics i, I have love to it. make it like that but i think integrity is a huge part of my belief system. I think that interdependence and that impact is huge on my core beliefs um, and how I see myself and others impact one another. Ripple effect, butterfly effect, however people want to call it. I think that we all found impact. We don't live in a vacuum. I think that there is like trust and honesty. I think they all, I feel like most of my core beliefs sort of like intertwine with one another Mm -hmm. because I think that, as we said, we are, messy like humans are messy but i think i read this oh what what book would i read it in can't remember at the top of my head but it's talking about living through your values and so i try to place my values as the vehicle and the engine with which i move throughout my life and which is why they intertwine and i think it also makes us less messy as humans with the understanding that there's still going to be some mistakes so honesty, trust, mm-hmm. love is like mm. the apathy is the worst thing that we can really do. I, mm-hmm. I think MLK said it best when he said, when he was talking about the white model, because there is a sense of apathy with not wanting to pick a side and not wanting to care about 
something. And I think that you have to have some aspect of love in order to go throughout your life. I'm going to ask you to define integrity for me. Mm, okay. Um, for me, integrity is the alignment of your work and actions. And it is, again, a practice of making sure that what you do and what you say are not contradictory. Mm -hmm. Love that. What are some of your key strengths? I know that you identify, I think I've read somewhere that you identify with a relator, responsibility, <laughs> woo, belief, yeah. and analytical. Say more about yeah. those. So those are my strengths um, through strength, uh, Clifton Strengths Finder. And I really do identify with those, with those five strengths. Relator being that I like deep connections uh, with other people. I think that there is so much you can learn from others and that the deeper you, the deeper you dive into relationships, the more you learn and the more you grow as a person. I think responsibility talks to my own responsibility as a person within, you know, my life and talking to, you know, that interdependence that, um, I think that interdependence and that responsibility are really hand in hand in terms mm -hmm. of uh, how I view my place amongst everyone else. And that belief is just that ingraining of that aspect of my life. It's really, really set in there. Like what I, how I believe the world operates through interdependence and through our responsibility as people is really core to how I operate. Um, I think that is that belief system and my belief system is how, or that value system is how I operate through the world. Woo stands for winning others over um, or winning over others. And I think for me, it has to do with, mm, I would like to say that I'm approachable and that I try to engage with everyone regardless of differences and be someone to be someone that is able to talk to people of difference and talk to people across difference is something that I take pride in. Mm -hmm. And I think that also is a core part of who I am through my identities. My mom is from Switzerland. My dad's from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm biracial, bi-ethnic, lived in a very multilingual household. So it's just the way I grew up and understanding that people come from all shapes, like all walks of life. It's not the understanding of difference, but it's the appreciation of difference that really matters for me. And then the analytical part, you know, I always got to have some analysis and some criticality of the world in my sphere. I try not to take everything at face value. I love to ask those, those hard questions about how, like why things are and how the world works. Um, and also there's, there's so much to be said about the power of your, of, of a story and just being able to tell stories through so many different lenses um, is important to understand, which means you have to be able to to have an analytical mindset and be able to analyze different stories, not necessarily bashing stories, but being able to break break things down. I used to tell folks at Elon when you know I'm coming into student affairs with a with a statistics mindset, which to some people wouldn't make much sense, but for me, it's the power to use numbers to tell stories mm. and 
a lot of people love manipulating numbers to tell their story, but it's not about like, that's not what we have numbers for. And it's, it's, I, I think it's so sad to see how people like manipulate numbers to, for their own satisfaction or their own progress in life. But the numbers are there to, to help you tell a more complete story. Good story. It's so, so true. My husband's a numbers person and I'm not, it's not that I disrespect the number. It's just like, I don't think in terms of numbers and in conversations, he'll say percentages and facts and you know, he's analytical and it's always of such service to me. Like I, there's something I relax into when I'm hearing numbers. So I appreciate the analytical mind that has the ability to do that. Numbers are just so important. I think we spend a lot of time in society talking about people who are um, people who can't read. And I think there's also something to be said about people who don't understand like the numbers as well. Like it's just, it's just fascinating to me. All right. So you're moving on in the world. We're about to wrap up. Tell me what you're going to be doing. You're going to be teaching at Auburn. So I'll be working as a staff member within student involvement, uh, within leadership programs, um, helping to supervise the students that really lead our leadership development program here at Auburn. So myself and another coordinator, will, we're taking on that task of really helping to push our students um, and the students of the institution of Auburn to really think about leadership really critically and think about how do they think about their own role as a person and how does that showcase itself within their leadership practice? Um, so we just got here within our first months of doing this. Um, and I'm, it's been a really good month so far of just learning the role and getting to meet our students. And I'm really excited for the work that we're going to be able to do, especially with all the change that is happening and how much leadership, how important leadership is within change that is going on. Um, I'm really excited about this work. Well, you've had a major impact on me, and I have a lot of gratitude for who you are and how you show up in the world and the, the leader that I see you to be. And I wish you tremendous amount of luck, and I think whoever you're impacting over there is in good hands. I can see that. Thank you so much. Take care. was my conversation with Alonzo C. You can find out more about Alonzo at alonzoc.com. That's alonzocee.com. I've also included the video that inspired me to reach out to him and other relevant social media handles in the show notes. So take a look there. And I'd like to thank you, Alonzo. I appreciate your openness, your authenticity, and your willingness to share your story with me. Wishing you the best of luck in your newest adventures in life. Okay, that's all for now. May you all breathe easily, take it one moment at a time, and keep doing the things you love. And I'll see you next time. The university's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more 
at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. Or follow us at Anne Marie Chereso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time.